0: So having publicly skirted around the issue of whether mRNA could upend the broader vaccine market on the back of the integral role that this technology has played in the development of COVID-19 vaccines, Sanofi appears to have finally decided that the fear of missing out is too great. And on Tuesday this week, it announced plans to establish uh, an mRNA vaccine centre of excellence which it expects to fund to the tune of 400 million euros a year. Um, The center of excellence is gonna employ around 400 staff and this will build on some work that Sanofi is already undertaking in the mRNA vaccine space with a company called Translate Bio. Um, I believe they're working on a influenza vaccine. But they hope to have um, a total of six mRNA vaccine candidates in the clinic by 2025. Um, obviously, we've heard in the last couple of months that Moderna and Pfizer, who led the way in mRNA COVID 19 vaccine development, have sort of unveiled various long term plans to move their respective technologies into other segments of the vaccine market. Um, Obviously, a market where Sanofi already has um, a large presence. So they're really, I think they're hedging their bets now that that they do think mRNA is going to be potentially a a disruptive technology in the broader vaccine market. Um, Looking back uh, over the the other main news this week, Becky, I know that we were all talking about some data that Intellia Therapeutics... um, announced, or I believe it was published in a journal um, last weekend, Um, it was some data in the field of CRISPR gene editing. Can you give us a a kind of a brief overview of of what the data was and and why everyone's so excited about it?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. So um, this was uh, Intelia's uh, first ever data release. So, you know, they um, uh, go big or go home, I guess, (laughs) what they're, uh, they're thinking there. Um, And this is important because this is the first ever demonstration of in vivo gene editing using CRISPR. Um, So what we've seen previously with, say, uh, CRISPR therapeutics um, as the most advanced in the field has been an ex vivo strategy um, where they're doing things like, you know, extracting uh, hematopoietic stem cells, you know, editing them and then inserting them back in. Um, But since uh, delivery, drug delivery is such a challenge um, for genetic technologies like this, um, it's successful demonstration of in vivo editing where it's just effectively a systemic delivery of um, these uh, gene editing enzymes. Um, is a huge win for the field, just to uh, for this proof of concept that um, you can, you know, wrap up Cas9 into a, a lipid nanoparticle um, and see uh, effective editing in a in a target tissue. Um, so in this case, Intelia uh, was looking at um, a form of amyloidosis that's uh, it's. A, uh, it's a great trial run of gene editing in terms of an indication because there is a uh, single faulty gene that you can effectively knock out and now you have no more production of the faulty protein that's leading to um, all the, 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 that is pathologic um, for the disease. So there's no you know, corrected um, uh, genetic template that one needs to add in. It's about, it's the simplest way, you know, one could uh, introduce gene editing um, as a treatment for disease. So um, they did a great job uh, from our, from the limited data we have thus far, which is 28 days of follow up from a total of six patients, I believe, um, just in demonstrating the proof of concept that, you know, yes, we do in fact, have a lot less of this um this circulating protein you know now than we did prior to um our you know delivery of our our cas9 enzyme um and it's also noteworthy in that um intelia has targeted uh the liver initially just as this is sort of you know the low-hanging fruit um among the um the target tissues, you know, one could choose for um, for this type, for this type of technology. Um, so it will be uh, very. It, while it's very important that they were able to, you know, get over this drug delivery hurdle um, for the liver. Of course, the bigger question will be: Can we get um, beyond the liver, where uh, we've seen other technologies still haven't quite made it there yet? You know, things like RNAi has very similar problem um, of trying to you know get beyond the liver for the same type of LNT delivery um, but the other you know just very important sort of fundamental um, observation from this study was that the, the safety profile once again with only 20, 28 days of follow-up you know looks pretty benign um, we are we've had you know years of you uh, whistleblowing for um kind of a mix of theoretical and uh practical concerns about uh crispr cas9 gene editing um things like immunological responses to the cas9 enzyme you know off target edits um where from once again our limited follow-up we don't see much evidence of any of those things happening um so intelia is going to be continuing to continue their uh, their dose escalation for this phase one study um, so that we may start seeing you know even more um, uh, efficient you know knockdown of their protein of interest than we're seeing right now um, and they're also be kicking off um, a new program also targeting the also targeting the liver, but, you know, a different disease um, moving into the second half is I believe when they're looking at um, uh, candidate selection. So you know, hopefully in the near term, we'll, we'll see both a uh, more detailed look at the, at the six patients and a few more that Intellio hopefully adds on to this study. And then, you know, signs of expansion of this technology into um, some more disease settings, which would be, you know, just in- instrumental to um, getting, you know, CRISPR-Cas9 to be like a uh, a real therapeutic.
0: Okay, great. So, in summary, really exciting, promising stuff. But obviously, you've mentioned there limited number of patients, and obviously, limited follow-up. So, I guess, you know, some some reason for caution, but. Everyone's going to be looking now at what Intellia and I guess what other companies in the space kind of present in the next couple of years.
1: For sure, for sure, there is um, there are a few other companies in similar space it, it taking you know this gene editing approach to um, to treat diseases that have uh, Verve is one example where they are looking at effectively a deletion of PCSK9 as a um, treatment for. Uh, hypercholesterolemia, um, which will be another company that people are watching, um, and then um, after that you'll start getting into these these more complex strategies um, that I was mentioning earlier, where you need things like base editing for, say, bean therapeutics, um, or you need to you know put in a you need to correct a gene and you know add in a you know new and healthy genetic template uh, for diseases like Duchenne muscular dystrophy um as opposed to just you know knocking out a faulty gene so see where those more complex strategies end up going um, will be really important also to seeing how broad this strategy can work
0: okay um, another notable um story this week was Abvi um confirming that a number of pending regulatory decisions from the fda um for its jack inhibitor Rinvoc. Um, I believe, for psoriatic arthritis and ankylosing spondylitis have been delayed. And I think, Michael, the company has said that they expect another um, potential approval for atopic dermatitis, which I believe is scheduled for next month to be postponed as well. Um, This is just kind of the continuing uh, impact of the FDA's investigation into the safety of the jack inhibitor class isn't it and and its implications on on sort of approvals in that in that space yeah exactly the the backdrop
2: is you know the the oral surveillance results that came out for zeljans in january has basically put a hold you know basically put a hold on the entire jack class from a regulatory perspective at this point it's become pretty clear. Um, so as you said, there were two indications or two applications that were pushed out for a second time um just just now, and a third is sort of expected to be pushed out. So, you know, that it just it's not a surprise, I guess. You know, we're sort of sitting here waiting for the decision on from FDA on what they're going to do. And there's sort of two parts to that. It's what they're gonna do with Zelljan specifically. And then what also they're gonna do with all the other jacks. Um, you know, obviously abvi and some other companies have made, you know, some pretty uh good arguments to to the to suggest that these jacks are you know different, they're more specific and they're differentiated versus Zelljans. But uh so far FDA has treated them all the same. So you know it's it's obviously a big question mark on what they're gonna do. And interestingly, not just were these uh, applications pushed out, but at the same time, AbbVie has been rolling out uh, additional readouts. You know, in sort of the uh, in parallel, and so just this week, they they rolled out some some more phase three data for Rinvoq in ulcerative colitis. So, I mean, it's and again, it was positive. The safety results were not not pristine, but they're pretty good, and there were clearly no clear signal of any real problem there. So, you know, it this basically while these um, jacks are sort of sitting in a holding pattern waiting for FDA, AbbVie is basically making it an even bigger decision for them financially anyway, because, you know, ulcerative colitis, I saw an analyst report that suggested that Rinvo could hit uh 2 billion in sales in ulcerative colitis alone. So, you know, obviously that's dependent on what happens at FDA and um, you know, we'll see. I, I think that uh, I think, People don't really know when the, what the timetable is on that, but sometime in the next few months, I think is basically what people are thinking, and uh, and we'll see because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of interested parties when that decision comes down because it's not just the Jax that's going to be affected; it's a whole slate of other drugs in a whole slate of other immunology indications that'll be affected. So, a lot of uh, a lot of eyeballs will be on
0: that. Sure, yeah, and I think you know absolutely what you said you know AbbVie has got a lot kind of resting on on RINVOC as one of its I guess two main new franchises in that space the other one is the IL-23 inhibitor Skyrizi I think but there's you know there's a lot of forecast revenues attached to those two products Um, and if you speak to key opinion leaders in lots of different areas you know they they do kind of perceive um, that drug as likely being i guess you could say you know the the best positioned jack inhibitor assuming of course that it, it can escape uh you know the knock-on effects of this investigation by the fda it's probably worth noting that the the european medicines agency um announced its recommendations for forthcoming approvals last friday and they did include RINBOK. Um, they did recommend that it be approved for atopic dermatitis so all three of those indications that are still pending in the us that are under review by the fda they have now been approved or recommended for approval in europe so i guess we can say that's uh, a positive sign for abby although um it's notable you mentioned um Zalgans, um european regulators have, have taken a, a different approach with regard to that drug versus the fda and then I think sort of slightly confusingly, the FDA and the EMA have taken slightly different approaches to the safety profile of another jack inhibitor marketed by Eli Lilly called Illumion. So it's not a guarantee that the FDA will follow suit, but I guess we can say the EMA's actions uh, are kind of positive for abvi uh, Certainly, that's what the company, I, I imagine, is probably um, sort of telling investors. And the last thing I wanted to just mention uh, before we wrap up this week, we had some pretty interesting data for um, Gilead's CAR-T therapy, Yescarta, uh, This was phase three data, and it was for second line. Uh, it was u- when used as a second line treatment for patients with large B-cell yeah. lymphoma. Be- Becky, I know you covered this, but it's, you know, Yescarta demonstrated some pretty impressive efficacy versus, um, you know, the current standard of care in that setting. And I guess... It's quite exciting for the idea of cart potentially being used um in earlier line patients rather than those you know the the kind of salvage setting where where they're currently used,
1: yeah, so I think the big question here so you know of course um you know Gilead and uh b m s alike you know would love to see um uh it be a more you know Commonplace, you know, go-to option to be able to uh, reach for these uh, cartes in general. Um, and I think the big, big question here, um, you know, like you'd said, uh, yes, CARTA here had a, a pretty dramatic um, improvement um, over the the transplant option in the second line setting, um, and this was based on an event-free survival endpoints. Um, and I think the big question is just going to be you know whether uh, physicians that are you know going to be doing these, you know elaborate procedures you know, want to wait for the overall survival data um, or if they're okay acting on um, on this EFS. Uh, this is also noteworthy in the context of um, BMS had had you know similar data for their uh, for Excuse me for their party, you know, once again, showing improvement um, in outcomes in this uh, second line uh, second line setting. Um, But both of these are sort of, you know, top line releases with without a lot of detail in, um, you know, Um, without a lot of numbers provided you know for these response rates uh so i people are just going to have to wait for um for an actual data presentation on both of these i think you know to see how they are doing in sort of like a um i won't say head-to-head because lord knows there will never be a head-to-head study (laughs) against of of the two of them um but to, to have more comparable figures to see if one of these is performing better than the other um even before we can get to you know any analysis of what this uh os data might look like down the road
0: okay and i suppose there's always that issue with with these um first generation car t products that regardless of, of of that waiting for that os data there's always the kind of um the ongoing debate about access to these and those uh logistical challenges that persist you know limited limited use because of the way that these need to be i guess administered in in certain settings and what have you and and you know we spoke i think it was last week or the week before actually about intelia who we mentioned earlier but we we were speaking about them um kind of moving into the um you know the off-the-shelf car t space and we're seeing a lot of investment there still so i think clearly it feels like we're kind of in the early innings where car is concerned overall, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, you know, if I were allergene, you know, I would be delighted to see that, you know, Gilead and BMS are, you know, sort of doing this work ahead of me to get, you know, physicians, you know, accustomed to working with these therapies to sort of lowering these uh, reimbursement and access hurdles so that, you know, I could come in yeah, a few years later, with the um, theoretically, uh, you know, cheaper and simpler option um, overall, that, that um, everyone is, you know, mo- more accustomed and willing to use a cell therapy of any sort.